So Judges 2, and we're going to start reading at verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. <coughs> then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. <coughs> so this morning I want to talk about a lost generation. This sermon has been a very long time in the making. The phrase, a lost generation, has been one that's been on my heart for over a year now. And I believe that it's not just God speaking to me, but to the church as a whole. There's a new generation in our midst. It's called Generation Z, or if you're not from America, it's Generation Z. Anybody born from 1995 onwards is to considered part of Generation Z. And they're markably different the generations before. Generation Z are the first generation to not remember not having the internet. They are growing up in a world where Google has always existed. Wi-Fi is considered an entitlement and news of first-time female, female or ethnic leaders impresses only their parents. I've read a really interesting book over the last month or two by James Emery White, He's the pastor at Mecklenburg Community Church in America, a church that started um, as a family in a house and now has 10,000 members. And he's written a book called Meet Generation Z, Understanding and Reaching the New Post-Christian World. And I recommend you read it. It's a fantastic book. He talks about the rise of the nuns. And by nuns, I don't mean women who pray a lot. I mean, the nuns are the people who do not affiliate themselves with the religion, who with the, when they're asked their religion on a form, they tick none. And in America, that makes up one quarter of the American population. The nuns are now the largest religious group in America. However, more shockingly, in the UK, the number of nuns has risen from 3% in 1963 and now stands at 44.7%. Youth for Christ did research into Generation Z in 2016. It's available online and it's a really interesting, eye-opening read. They found that just under half of the young people surveyed said that they did not believe in the existence of God. And it's not necessarily because they've got well-thought-out reasons about why God doesn't exist. It's because they simply just aren't thinking about God. He is not on their radar. 69% of the teenagers surveyed said that they had never 
been to a youth club or a church group. Although this research took part in Great Britain and may differ slightly in Northern Ireland, we're not very far behind, and so we can't stay too comfortable. Unlike days gone by, children are not sent faithfully to church groups. So if they aren't coming through our doors, we need to be finding another way to reach them. David talks about when the river meets the sea, when God's people meet the flow of culture head on, bringing something fresh and different. We must avoid not engaging with culture by going into isolation. To do that would be to neglect the mission of the church. And in the book, James Emery White suggests that our mission is to reach out to a deeply fallen world and call it back to God. So before you switch off, this is not a sermon only for the ears of the youth workers among us. It's the responsibility of all of God's people to ensure that there is not a lost generation in our community. In the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus addressed that to all his disciples, not just to those who were working with young people, but to all of his disciples, all of the people who followed him. So it's all of our responsibility. And there's four things I think that this generation coming up need. The first of those is leadership. So if you look back to Judges 2 in verse 7, it says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all of the great things the Lord had done for Israel. The people served through the lifetime of Joshua. Joshua's legacy is seen in the godliness of Israel during his leadership. He was a good leader. He was referred to as the servant of the Lord in verse 8. And that was a title in the Bible that was only reserved for the greatest, such as David, Abraham, Moses and the prophets. Verse 7 goes on to say that they also lived for God throughout the time of the elders who outlived him, who had seen all of the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. They remained faithful under the leadership of Joshua's successors. He passed on his leadership qualities. Generation Z are the most self-directed generation to date. They don't need us to obtain information or knowledge. They have infinite information at their fingertips. In the book, James Emery White says, if the heart of the Christian mission is to evangelise and transform culture through the centrality of the church, then understanding culture is paramount. Therefore, in a different cultural climate, we need to adapt a different approach. What has worked in years gone by may no longer be effective. We need to know what we're stepping into if we're going to effectively lead people towards engagement with God. In Acts chapter 2, following the Pentecost, Peter addresses the crowd. The crowd is full of Jews, religious people, and he addresses them accordingly. He quotes scriptures from the prophet Joel and from the Psalms of David. The crowd would have been familiar with these, And that day, about 3,000 people were added to their number. If we contrast that to Acts 17, Paul was preaching in Athens. Athens was very, very different to Jerusalem. It was a city that was filled with idols. In verse 21, it says, All of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I would argue that not much has changed. The crowd here was not from a religious background. They lived to serve their own desires. 
and Paul addresses them accordingly. He tells them about the basics, about God's creation. He tells them about how they were made in the image of God. He tells them the story of God's people, how we have sinned, and the good news of the gospel. And although some of the people ridiculed him and laughed at him, others believed and wanted to know more. Had he addressed them in the same way that Peter addressed the Jews in Acts 2, it would have meant very, very little to them because they didn't have the same religious background. Paul knew the culture that he was stepping into and he kept that in mind while he addressed them. We need to lead the next generation towards Jesus. In many years gone by, there was a style of parenting which labelled some parents as helicopter parents because their approach to parenting was stifling with very little room for their children to make their own decisions and very little room for children to make their own mistakes, resulting in many becoming over-reliant on their superiors, lacking independence and initiative. However, in more recent years, parenting has taken a swing in, it in the opposite direction, where children are given minimal direction, risk-taking is encouraged, and young people are in charge of their own destiny. So how do we, as a church, direct a generation who believe that they are not in need of direction? If any of you know me well, you will know that I absolutely love nature. I absolutely love all of David Attenborough's programmes. I'm a wee bit of a nerd for them. But there is this one clip at the end. There's a new series came out this year called Dynasties. And they take one animal and look at that one animal. And there's one about the emperor penguins, which I absolutely love. But there's a beautiful clip at the end of it where the penguins have all fallen down into some sort of like a big ditch. And they've got their chicks and they can't climb out and they're stuck. Um, and I'll just let you watch then what happens next. I did borrow that illustration from somebody else, so we can't completely take credit for it. But I think it's a powerful um, illustration of what we need to do. We need to disciple people. Can't just lift them and throw them out of the pit. We need to give people the tools that they need to pursue Jesus. We need to challenge them. We can't make discipleship too easy or people simply will not mature in their faith. Please pray about this. We're considering how we can disciple our own young people in table and we need God's wisdom and direction. We have been looking into it for something that is possibly starting up in September, a new discipleship programme. So please pray about that because we do need to do something for our teenagers to help them in their walk of faith. So the second thing I think we need to do is we need to tell the story. And I think David touched on this recently. If you look in verse 10 of Judges 2, it says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. This generation had no personal relationship with a God. He was a thing of their parents' generation. They likely were not told the stories of God's faithfulness to Israel. Their parents' generation had seen what God had done, but they hadn't passed this on. In verse 7, it says they had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. They had their hearts filled with awe and wonder, yet they didn't pass it on to the next generation with catastrophic consequences. As a result, the book of Judges goes on to be one of the most gruesome, horrific books of the Bible, marked by idolatry, slavery to sin, and God's wrath being unleashed. In Joel 1, verse 3, it says, Hear this, you elders. 
Listen, all who live in the land, has anything ever happened like this in your days or the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children tell it to the next generation. Culture is telling its own stories, which are shaping the hearts and minds of the next generation. If we want to change culture, we need to tell a different story. We need to tell the Jesus story. The Gospels are jam-packed full of life-altering moments, stories that are waiting to be told. And if we are saved, then our very lives are living stories of God's love, grace, mercy and redemption. Are we telling those stories? When last did you tell your story? In work in the staff room, some very, very interesting stories are told. And there's some very interesting conversation. But recently I walked into the staff room to the beat of a news story. Somebody was retelling this testimony that she had heard at church the night before. The testimony of someone who many of us will know very well. And for that 10 minutes, everyone's attention was on it. Staff from all different backgrounds and beliefs were tuned into a story of God's love and faithfulness. A welcome change from the usual talk of Love Island or staff room complaints. And it challenged me. How long until the staff room would again be focused on a conversation about Jesus? You can tell what people are passionate about by two things. Firstly, what they spend their time on. And secondly, what they talk about. If we're passionate about the gospel, we need to be talking about it. We need to talk about Jesus in normal, everyday conversation. According to the Evangelical Alliance, they say that 67% of the people in the UK are close friends with a Christian. However, only half of those have ever had a conversation about Jesus. Who could you be telling the Jesus stories to? Who needs to hear the gospel in your life? I've talked before at Bird Table about how bloggers drive me mad. <coughs> Social media sort of drives me mad, but especially the mummy bloggers, because they post endless pictures of their beautiful grey and white show homes, which are sparkling clean havens, and they brag about all the educational, holistic experiences which the organic-fed children have. The story that they're telling is one of perfection. And what's the effect of that on me? It leaves me feeling inadequate, unable to measure up to their standards. There's one mum blogger who I do follow. Her stories are marked by humorous honesty. She's not afraid to tell of the good, the bad and the ugly parts of parenting. And to me, I like reading her blogs because she's relatable and accessible. So whenever we do tell our stories to people, we need to be authentic. We need to be real and we need to be honest. People do not want to hear about a perfect life which is far from attainable. They need to hear the reality of the obstacles that we faced whilst clinging hard to Jesus, showing his faithfulness through the valley and the hope on which our eyes are fixed. We need to be living as if we believe the gospel really is good news so that people will see the outworking of it in our lives despite the ups and downs. The third thing I think this generation needs is holiness. Rabbi Zacharias is an American author and preacher and he says, how do you reach a generation that hears with its eyes and thinks with its feelings? Generation Z are growing up in a world which tells them that how you feel is the most important thing. 
Doing what feels right for you will bring satisfaction and fulfilment, and anything which says otherwise is deemed to be cruel and unfair. This could not be farther from the truth. Generation Z are now marked with what is called moralistic therapeutic deism. This is what the majority of Generation Z believe, and it is a collection of spiritual beliefs underpinned by five main ideas. Number one, that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, that people want, God wants people to be good, nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in anyone's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. That is the basic theology that this generation believe. We live in a world where God's version of holiness is completely countercultural. It's deemed to be out of touch. So what exactly does it mean to be holy? Holiness comes from the Hebrew word gadosh. I don't know if that's pronounced properly. But gadosh means to cut, to be cut off, separate from everything else. It also means to be entirely morally pure all the time, in every way possible, free from defilement of crimes, idolatry and other unclean, profane things. John Stott said, if the church realistically accepted his standards and values and lived by them, it would be the alternative society he intended it to be and would offer to the world an authentic Christian subculture. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the church is most effective when she is different from the world, even if the world hates her for a while. As we know from the cultural context around us, whenever the church takes a biblical view on, normal, on moral issues, it will come against backlash. It will come under scrutiny from the world around us because we're telling a different story, a story of radical holiness deemed to be unattainable by human effort. And it is unattainable by human effort. If we look at Romans 3, verse 22 to 24. Romans 3. It says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. We cannot be holy without Jesus. If we pursue Jesus wholeheartedly, holiness will follow. However, if we don't make holiness a priority, we're at risk of being dragged down by our sinful nature, succumbing to the ways of culture rather than the ways of Jesus. In the Youth for Christ survey, teenagers were asked, what is your experience of Christians? And one young person's answer was, they're normal like everybody else. Their faith doesn't change them. If we're to be holy, set apart, we must be radically different. People should not be able to spend half an hour with us without knowing that there's something different about us. The cultural cost of following Jesus is rising and the teachings of the Bible are under attack from every angle. However, we must be careful to stand our ground and not become compromised. Otherwise, we have nothing to offer the world that it doesn't already have. God's word is truth. It's not to be watered down or it's not to be used in part to help back up someone's personal opinion on something. 
When we're presenting the gospel to people, we need to present people with the whole story. Quite often, we're very quick to promote the good news without acknowledging our past, where we came from. Without fully understanding our true sinful state, there is no good news. Grace is only amazing whenever we realise just how much we need it. We need to be honest with people about the cost of following Jesus. Jesus himself challenged people and sometimes offended people. I was listening this week to a sermon by Gavin Calver, who is the head of mission at the Evangelical Alliance. And he said, many people will openly reject the gospel. It will offend people and it will create enemies. Have enemies because you stand for the truth and you refuse to compromise. In Luke 18, the rich young ruler came to Jesus, looking, basically looking for Jesus to, to boost his ego, to tell him what a good job he had been doing at following the commandments. Instead, he left challenged. Jesus challenged him to go beyond what the culture around him was telling him he needed to do to be successful. I'm sure you've probably all heard the famous quote by Max Licato, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. A quote that is plastered over lots of things. And sometimes Christians are very, very, very quick to pick up on the first part of it. God loves you just the way you are. And sometimes that's the only message that culture is hearing. God loves you just the way you are. And you think, great, God loves me just the way I am. I can keep living the way I am. We can so often forget about the end of that statement, focusing on the Jesus loves you part. We think that people might be offended by Jesus wanting to change them. So we sell them what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Grace that can be gained without any personal sacrifice suggesting that forgiveness can be obtained without repentance. But we know the opposite to be true. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he asked them to leave everything behind and fully surrender to him. To tell people that they can follow Jesus and stay the same as they once were will not create disciples and will not cultivate authentic relationships with God. The final thing I think this generation needs is experience. If we're going to bring Jesus to Generation Z, they need to have a real and authentic experience of him. In Gavin Calver's book, Game Changers, he says, no matter what the cultural climate, you can only live fully once you've met the author of life. It's great to have so many ministries in our church and in the local churches in the area. The only way, though, that they are going to be effective is if they're actually bringing people closer to Jesus the only one who can save them. Quite often when planning for outreach, we can be so focused on entertaining people, providing them with a nice wee night out. But entertaining people won't bring them closer to God. They need to be experiencing him. They need to be challenged by his word. In that sermon, Gavin Calver said, the church has not lost a generation of teenagers because we failed to entertain them. The church has lost a generation of teenagers because we failed to challenge them. So can I just encourage everyone in this church family who are actively working out the church's ministry in our community, to the ones that are here till late hours on Friday nights, bringing the gospel to generations out of Tandragee, to those who are coming to church early to make breakfast, providing an opportunity for a time of meaningful conversations. For Jackie Scones this morning. To those who are practicing diligently behind the scenes to help us worship our God. 
to those who challenge the community of God each week by teaching from the word, to those who welcome the newcomers into our church and devote themselves to getting to know them. The list goes on and on. Whenever people encounter Jesus in a real and tangible way, lives are changed. So if we could just turn to John 4. To John chapter 4, where Jesus is at the well and he meets a woman from Samaria. So in John 4, Jesus meets the woman from Samaria. She knew the story of Israel and she knew about a coming Messiah. Because if you look in verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So she knew about Jesus. She knew that he would be coming. She'd heard that before. But the real life-changing power came when she received the living water. If you look in verses 13 to 14, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Instead, the water I give them will become in, will become in them a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. She needed Jesus' living water. She needed to actually experience him and not just know him. In her, her experience was so awesome that she couldn't help but share it. As a result, many Samaritans came to meet Jesus and were saved that day. Russell Brand, although somewhat a controversial and outspoken character, actually surprisingly has some very profound ideas about God. He suggests that all desires are the inappropriate substitute for a desire to be at one with God. All desires are the inappropriate substitute for the desire to be at one with God. Within the times we live in, there is a huge desire to know who am I. Generation Z are in an identity crisis. Anxiety is rising amongst our young people and they are crying out to know who they are. So many young people, after they finish education, want to go on a gap year to find themselves. Unfortunately, they're always going to be thirsty for something which they do not know unless they find their identity in the one who created them and loves them. They need to know that they are fully secure, significant and accepted. They need to know that their identity is safe in Christ. Spiritual illiteracy is also on the rise. No longer can we assume that people know the stories of Abraham, Moses and Jesus. However, there's still a hunger for the satisfaction which can come from knowing Jesus. 22% of the young people surveyed in, Youth for Christ, in the Youth for Christ survey believed in ghosts and spirits. There is a surging interest in the spiritual world among culture. The only way for us to break this dangerous chain is to bring people into the wonderful experience of a life with Christ. They don't have to do an Alpha course or a Freedom in Christ course before we can let them in. Anyone can experience the power of God. If they experience God, everything else will follow. If we go back to the passage in Judges 2, to verse 10, it says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They didn't know the Lord. Their parents knew the Lord. But just because their parents knew him, that did not mean that this would somehow be transmitted to them. The thing that was missing, although they had seen older Jews worshipping, 
They had not experienced the awe and wonder of a life spent with God for themselves. If I told you that chocolate is really, really good, I could tell you that it is the best food ever and I love it. You might get an idea of just how delicious it is. You would know that there's something good about it. But if you never actually tried it for yourself, you wouldn't fully grasp what it is like. You wouldn't have actually experienced it. It's not enough for Generation Z just to come in and see people worshipping. They need to actually experience God's transforming power for themselves. So as we close, I saw a quote online. I wrote it down about a year ago. I'm not really sure where I even found it, but it is by Pastor Michael Catt from Sherwood Baptist Church. And he said, whoever wants the next generation most will get them. Do we want the next generation enough? It's our calling as the church of God to reach the next generation, to lead them, to tell them the story of the gospel, to provide an example of holiness and to lead them towards experiencing the real living God. William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury said, the church is the only institution on earth designed entirely for the benefit of its non-members. Are we benefiting the church's non-members? So I want to leave you with this challenge to pray and seek the Lord over the coming weeks and months. Pray that this generation will be a generation of mature believers who sought the Lord, who knew his power and did mighty things for him, and that there would be no such thing as a lost generation in Tandragate.